1: NY or text Hope NY in New York.
2: Welcome to Andy Staples on three, and it's a hot take Tuesday. We have the ultimate hot take guy. Well, maybe the original, a pioneer of hot takes. I think is probably the best way to describe it. Paul Feinbaum joins us with some great stories about how he almost Patch things up with Jim Harbaugh, but then Hollywood intervened. Jason Biggs, the star of American Pie, features prominently. You guys, you got to hear this. A little bit later in the show, Paul will join. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Alabama and the quarterback situation. Nick Saban and no depth chart. But first, we got to talk about some other hot takes because Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, he had a pretty blazing take with, Pretty good reason on Tuesday. Tyler Brown is an offensive lineman at Colorado. He transferred from Jackson state played for, for Deion Sanders there. He had originally transferred from Louisiana before that. So you, I think you know where this is going. If you've been following along with the Daryl Jackson story at Florida state, the Tez Walker story at North Carolina, if you've transferred a second time, you probably didn't get your waiver approved. And that's exactly what happened here. The NCAA did not approve a waiver for Tyler Brown who had appealed saying that, you know, for the sake of his mental health, he needed to be able to play immediately. Deion Sanders was not happy about that situation at all on Tuesday. I uh,
3: just had a question about Tyler Brown, who was recently ruled ineligible. Yeah, yeah that hurt. That hurt tremendously. He's a kid that I'm, is dear to me, um, like a darn son to me. And I, This is one of those moments when my, one side of me is saying, shut up, coach. The other one said, go get it. I'm going to go get it. Tyler Brown is a wonderful kid, but he he deals with a lot of issues inside, and he's been seeing specialists and seeing people to really deal with these issues and calm these things down, so I'm very privy to him. He was in my Thursday group that I spoke into their lives every Thursday, a group of young men that were there at Jackson with me last year. But that, it, it don't make sense. It, it, some things just don't make sense. You know, you, you say you really care about mental health, but when you have someone really dealing with mental health, um, there's a problem. And then ostracizing him and not allowing him to do what he's blessed and gifted to do in the thing that presents him peace, that's, that's trying for a young man. He's not the only one. It's a, a plethora of people around the country. Um, I think this was the year that they said no to darn near everybody. But but Tyler Brown, uh, I wish they could review that and, and really understand that. I wish you could see. I think he made a video that that was sent to um, the NCA. I want you guys to get that video. Please do that for me, and, and and watch it. Then tell me how you can say no to this kid. He posted it on his YouTube. Account. He did. Yeah. Okay. Did you all? Some of you see it? Okay. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's like wow. Do you really care or are you just saying you care? Or you care when it's convenient
2: or when it's profitable? So Tyler Brown did post that video to his YouTube. It, go ahead and watch it because he explains some of the trauma that he's dealt with and, and some of the stuff he's dealing with right now. He, he also posted a note to his Instagram account and basically said, the NCAA stated our, to our compliance office that since I wasn't struggling to get out of bed, that my mental health case wasn't serious enough. Depression isn't something that just goes away. There are some days it's hard for me to get out of bed and be productive. There are some days I don't even want to leave my apartment and just isolate. Football has always been the largest tool in helping me through my struggles and not having that hurts. But I will continue to push through and find a way every single day to be the best Tyler Brown I can be. This is a call to action. The NCAA claims to care about student-athletes' mental health, but they do not care about mine. It's pretty strong words and, and strong words from Deion Sanders. And we've heard this multiple times now. Now here's, here's where it is similar to the Daryl Jackson case at Florida state. It is, it is similar to the Tez, the Tez Walker cases at North Carolina is a little bit different because of the, the situation where they canceled the football season at his first school. So he was thinking he hadn't really transferred at all. But in, in Tyler Brown's case, he enrolled at Colorado in December. That was before the NCAA did change this rule. And yes, they said that the rule change was coming, But if we all remember, the NCAA also said NIL was going to be allowed July 1st, 2021. So when Mason Smith, the LSU defensive tackle, participated in autograph signing for money about a month before that, well, he probably shouldn't have been punished using that logic. Oh, wait, he's missing the Florida State game because of doing something that is completely within the rules now. This is why the NCAA... Is what it is. This is why everyone hates the NCAA. They never pass up an opportunity to look terrible. Never. And so you can say, well, they're denying everybody. They're denying, they are denying everybody. But again, these are people who transferred before they changed the rule. If they're going to say Mason Smith has to sit because the rule hadn't changed yet, well, what's wrong with this? These guys did something before the rule changed. So apply the old rules to them. Apply the new rules to the people who transferred after. You're doing that to Mason Smith. But again, the NCAA is never consistent. It never does the easy thing that would make people look at it like a compassionate organization. And this is what you get. So you've got Dion speaking out. On Monday, you had Jim Harbaugh speaking out against the NCAA and and basically saying, look, hey, athletes need to share in the revenue.
0: I want them to be treated with the respect and the dignity that they deserve. What I don't understand is how the NCAA, television networks, conferences, universities, and coaches can continue to pull in millions and in some cases billions of dollars in revenue off the efforts of college student athletes across the country without
2: providing enough opportunity to share in the ever increasing revenue. It's interesting though to me that we only hear this from these coaches when they have their own problems with the NCAA. Jim Harbaugh, Just had to take a university-imposed three-game suspension. He'll be sitting out this week's game against East Carolina because of an NCAA investigation. I know he's frustrated with the NCAA, but... And he said this before. And you're saying, oh, he said this in 2022. Yeah. He was also dealing with that investigation then. So, I, I just... Deion Sanders, it's nice that you say it now when it affects your team. Say it when it doesn't affect your team too. And then maybe you'll affect some real change because here's the thing. And I'm not picking on Deion Sanders here because he obviously has not been complaining about the transfer portal. He's used it pretty liberally, but everything we've heard from coaches until these waiver decisions started going against them about the transfer portal is, Oh, you got to, you got to limit it. You got to stop it. You can't, you can't let it be free agency all the time. That's all they've been saying. They've been complaining nonstop. So the only time we hear them complain for compassion from the NCAA is when it affects their team negatively. So ask for this when it doesn't affect your team negatively, and maybe you'll get it. Because all of you coaches were the ones that were complaining about this, and that's why they tighten the rule. But it doesn't make it fair that they apply the rule to people who transferred before the rule was changed. And it doesn't make it fair that Mason Smith has to sit out for a rule that had already been changed but had not taken effect yet. If you're going to do one, do it, apply it evenly. If you're going to suspend Mason Smith, let Daryl Jackson play, let Tyler Brown play. It's pretty simple. But they're not going to do that. This is, they're going to take the opportunity to look like jerks, just like they always do. We move on to some actual on the field news. Remember we said yesterday it was mystery season. Nick Saban wasn't going to release a depth chart. Neil Brown wasn't going to name a starting quarterback. Tom Allen in Indiana, not going to name a starting kicker. Going to keep that mysterious, keep Ohio State guessing Well, Ryan Day, who plays Tom Allen on Saturday, will not keep Tom Allen guessing. Kyle McCord will be the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes when they play against the Hoosiers. Devin Brown probably still going to play. But Kyle McCord will go out there first. The world did not end when when that statement was uttered. I don't think it's going to hurt the Buckeyes competitively. I think they will probably still steamroll Indiana either way. So... There you go. It is possible to do it. Also in Los Angeles, Chip Kelly announced that Ethan Garbers will be the starting QB for the Bruins. He won the job over five-star freshman Dante Moore and Kent State transfer Colin Schlee. So it is not all of the coaches in the country that refuse to name a starting quarterback. It is just some of them and also the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. That's not something you usually see in the NFL, but man, when you're tanking for Caleb Williams, I guess you're going to do all kinds of things, including put the old ore on the on the depth chart <laughs> when you are an NFL team that it really doesn't matter because nobody's going in the transfer portal. But it's in the water. We're going to see a few more of those. We might actually get a few more announcements of starting quarterbacks as we get a little bit closer to the games. We're only a few days away, and these coaches, at a certain point, some of them are like, listen, the hay's in the barn. What? <laughs> What else are they going to do? And I, I, I think with, with Ryan Day, it's probably like the offense isn't really appreciably different with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. So it's not like telling anybody to going to change anything. So now you know. You know who's starting for the Buckeyes. You know who is starting for the Bruins. You still don't know who's starting for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And that is something I'm going to talk to Paul Feinbaum about. So we got Feinbaum, and then we got my bold predictions for the 2023 football season which will finish with my playoff prediction. Top four and first two out. Who do I think will make it and who do I think will just miss the cut? But when we come back, the great Paul Feinbaum. We're talking Nick Saban, depth charts, and Hollywood. We'll be right back I have to admit, it feels very weird being on this side of the microphone for this one because I have been on this man's show, dozens of times at this point, and now I'm interviewing him, Paul Feinbaum. Welcome. Uh, am I on? <laughs> you are. It's and, and like you're in a TV studio. You know, it's it's two writers who are just trying this whole show thing out. One is slightly more experienced than the other.
4: Well, no, I I am more experienced, but but Andy. Uh... I, I can assure you of this. I've never been comfortable today in front of a camera. I do not like, I mean, I, so, as you know, guy, there are guys in this business that, that literally love that camera. and I, I cannot stand the camera. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a compatriot here.
2: Yeah, it, it is so tough for me. My, my son tried to play an interview I did on another show on a podcast in the car the other day, and I made him turn it off because I, I just can't listen to it. I don't know about you, but I, I can't listen to my own voice.
4: The only thing I've liked being on lately is Swamp Kings because I'm on such
2: quality people like Urban Meyer. <laughs> I appreciate you doing that because they asked me about five times to do that one. And so it would have been you, me, and Pat Dooley. I'm, I'm glad you and Pat did the heavy lifting on that thing.
4: Well, I, listen, uh, Pat, Pat actually knew what he was talking about. I didn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, see, I, I, I feel like I would have come in and said something like, Hey, guys, how come you aren't asking about Percy Harvin? You seem to not realize he's a person who exists.
4: Well, I won't say I won't say this on the record, of course, but uh, of course not. my best stuff clearly was not used because they had no interest in uh, telling the truth.
2: Well, they got you. You you got a couple barbs in. You were somewhat critical. And that's what I figured. It was it was there was more probably that we didn't see
4: the uh, the guy from London or the lady. I can't remember which kept reminding me uh, every time I said something terrible. She said, well, now. In uh, 2009, you said this about Urban Meyer. Uh, you never, you were not critical. I, I said, "Okay, whatever. Let's let's get out of here." <laughs> that, um,
2: that's the part where you say, "Ma'am, 16 hours of live radio a week. I'm going to say a lot of things."
4: Yeah, um, but it, it was it was really interesting too. Uh, the one thing I'd say, I, I, I've been on uh, ESPN 30 for 30s, and I've done a lot of other things. But there's something about Netflix, Andy, I don't know what it is, but I mean, you walk down the street and people say, hey, I saw you on Netflix. I mean, it it is like uh, it's a different uh, if it's it's a different spectrum than anything
2: else I've ever done. It's a different level of fame. I've talked to Joe Tessitore about this. You know, he's a famous person. He calls the biggest games in college football on ESPN. But the second he's calling mini golf on ABC, right, he gets recognized by every person in the grocery store.
4: It is true. Uh, And Knowing Joe is my dear friend, he he'll make sure you know that too.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I know Rob Riggle, but Paul, we, we gotta talk about this this college football season. I I was listening to your show on Monday and laughing because you had the the, the issue of the day was that Nick Saban had not released a depth chart and we didn't know who's gonna start at Alabama, and your callers just fell 50-50, half defending Saban blindly for what, for really no reason. And then half criticize. he he's, he's lost his touch. He doesn't know what he's doing. It, is that perfect? Is that just a perfect talk radio storm right there?
4: Well, well, it has become that way. And the only thing I can compare it to, and I, 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 I hate to get involved in politics, but I will, uh, there's a certain figure that's on all the television networks where mm-hmm. no matter what you say about him or do or indict or or whatever, there's a, there's there's thirty to forty percent or more. Tim Tebow, say, it's
2: okay. You can say his name.
4: Uh, it, 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 people will defend it, and Saban is the same way. I mean, his his loyal audience, and every time he does something like what he did Monday, Andy, instead of people saying, "I don't really like that," I wanted to know. They, they say, oh, he's an evil genius. He, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Uh, and and you can't really fight it. I mean, I, I as a reporter, I mean, even though I'm not anymore, I mean, the reporter in me who has sat in that room like you have many times, but it, that bothers me. Because uh, in my estimation, he's talking down to the media. And when you're Nick Saban, you don't have to bully a bunch of sports writers who are uh, bright-eyed and and uh, bushy-tailed. I mean, I remember I, I was in that room 40 years ago or a little bit more covering Bear Bryant. I I, mean, I I was like scared to death. And you know, one thing about Bryant, he he never berated the media. He never talked down to them. Uh, and Saban does. And I I think uh, if you have to, you know, there are many things you could say critically of Nick Saban, but that that would be high on my list of things that that really bother me is the way he bullies those who really uh, are just trying to do their job. And and, and they're, they're, they're in an awkward position anyway because their bosses don't want them to push too hard because, after all, they're, they're usually they're, – they're subscribers and circulation and advertising, and that's a big deal in Alabama. Don't ask me how I know that.
2: <laughs> well, here's my thing. I used to be one of those people – who always thought there was an ulterior motive that the Saban has a master yeah. plan for everything he does, and that that he knows five steps ahead of the rest of us where this is going to go. Where I was disabused of that notion was speaking out about Jimbo Fisher last year, right? And then Jimbo hitting back because he he clearly didn't see that coming, and that was one that, that he didn't have planned out. And you realize, oh, he is the best coach of all time, but sometimes he just does some things that. Maybe it don't make sense.
4: That I, In the middle of the night, I got a text from uh, one of my closest friends, Frank, frankly, who was involved in that event, uh, Andy, and he said, you're not going to believe what Saban did tonight. It was so it was genius, It was brilliant. And <laughs> I woke up and you know listened to it and I'm like, going, I didn't I thought it was terrible. Uh, but he got it, he caught a break and the break came under the, the guise of, of a unhinged, rant by Jimbo Fisher that will live in infamy Uh, and what Jimbo Fisher did that day was he gave he gave Nick Saban right he gave him the advantage right back yeah Uh, as opposed to saying you know listen I I respect coach Saban he's getting old uh he clearly uh isn't as close to the players (laughs) I mean anything he said he could he could have but Jimbo Jimbo went Jimbo and my favorite line and you 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 may not have been too far away from it when uh, uh a week or two later in Destin Scott Woodward came on our show. And I, he said, don't, don't ask me. I'm not going to get in the middle of two hillvillies from West Virginia in the middle
2: of a fight. No, that's Jimmy Sexton's job. And, and he apparently had quite a, quite a 24 hour period. So uh, the, the Nick Saban quarterback situation you've talked about a lot on your show, you've mentioned, you think Jalen Milrose, the guy who, who goes out there first against middle Tennessee. I'm wondering about this because I, w- I watched Jim Harbaugh do it last year where he started Cade McNamara first on purpose so that you could see J, uh, J.J. McCarthy in the second game as the starter. He did the – we'll start one, get this game, and won this game. And you see J.J. McCarthy second, and you're like, oh, that's it. Nick Saban's done that before with Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts right. in that USC game. Who do you think starts for Alabama against Texas? I suspect it's still
4: going to be Milrow. Um, and – I think the the key is what because ha- I, I don't think Saban wants to go through this whole ordeal and, and have Milrow start throughout the spring and then and really win, essentially win the job mm-hmm. uh, and then yank him before a big game. I think it would be easier to pull him if he's not playing well. And and the re- and lately now, I say lately, uh, Buckner Tyler Buckner has been the backup. But two weeks ago it was reverse with Ty Simpson. So I, I think I think he's really going to use this game, and now everything I said it, I think will happen unless uh, Milro plays so badly against Middle Tennessee and one of the other two come in. But but I think that's I, I think that's his tentative plan. I think it goes even deeper, Andy. Milro is popular on that team. Mm-hmm. And I think Saban is concerned about that as well. He does not want to upset the chemistry unless he absolutely has to. And very he very well may have to.
2: We'll be right back with more from Paul Feinbaum. But first, I want to tell you about Roback. Did you know that Roback can make you a superior athlete? I don't have any scientific evidence of this, but I definitely have anecdotal evidence. So I was wearing my green Roback performance hoodie, one of my favorite things that I own when I covered the Alabama-Texas A&M game last year in Tuscaloosa. You know what happened in that game? I caught a pass from Haynes King, who was getting chased at by, by Will Anderson. He was about to get sacked. He throws it over the sideline. It gets tipped up. And who catches it? Me. One-handed. I played offensive line, guys. I don't know how to catch things. It had to have been the hoodie. It had to, because Roback makes you elite. That's, that's really all there is to it. And they have the most comfortable polos, hoodies, quarter zips. They got shorts. They got joggers. You name it. And right now, if you go to Roback.com and use the promo code Andy, you get 20% off your first order. So load up polos, Q-zips, hoodies. We know those hoodies are magic. I'm telling you right now, on top of being the most comfortable thing you'll own, they make you a better athlete. They make you elite. That's all there is to it. Roback.com. Use the promo code Andy. 20% Twenty percent off your first order. Start being elite now. And that's what's so weird about this because you don't have a chemistry problem if you pick the clearly better quarterback, right? But it seems like it's so muddled as to who might be better that then who the players like better does come into it.
4: Yeah, I think it does. And and I, I well, I didn't buy Saban's uh, line line on Monday. I, I think he's. He's just trying to keep the noise level down uh, and he could have done it in a different way. He, he could have gone down that list and had either or 15 times. And <laughs> then we would have said evil genius. Yep. Uh, he, he, but by refusing to give the depth chart, it just seemed petty. But yeah, again, it, the
2: fans don't care. I mean, I, I live with an Alabama fan. I can assure you of that the, the, Look, Ohio State's named a starting quarterback, UCLA's named a starting quarterback. So it's, it's doable. It, it can be done. But you know, somebody who used to work for an SEC program called me yesterday after all that and said, you know what he's really doing? He's saving himself a call from a mom or a dad that he does not want to deal with. That is exactly what he's doing right now.
4: Well, the, you're right. Uh, the misconception yesterday from the Feinbaum callers, who are by without a doubt the most informed in the world, Absolutely. was that he's afraid to lose them all to the portal. I think there's a feeling that everybody was going in the portal uh, on Tuesday, <laughs> and, and be gone by Wednesday. Uh, I I didn't bother trying to explain the NCAA bylaws because I don't understand them myself.
2: Well, you you bring up the NCAA. You had you had, and, and it's interesting because as a newspaper columnist, you were the king of very hot takes when you are on first take when you when you come on to these ESPN shows you 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 breathe fire on your own show I feel like (laughs) you reserve that for the guests and for the callers but I you went in on on the NCAA on the Mason Smith thing last week what what was it about that particular situation that just that tripped the wire
4: it's just irritating it was it was impromptu um, and you're right. I really uh, the funniest part about the, the show. Here's the big secret. I don't really give opinions on the Feinbaum show, um, but it's just I guess when I started thinking about it uh, a, a month before NIL, just, just show some compassion. And what bothers me, Andy, and I'm pretty I think you were there. I'm pretty sure you were uh, having seen Charlie Baker speak earlier this year in, in Washington, D.C., and, you know, listening to him blame everything on the NCAA while well, he was the NCAA president. And I, I, I walked out of there going, you know what? This guy is a change agent. Uh, he's going to do things differently. And two months later, I haven't seen one thing different from the NCAA other than a bunch of hot air. And, and I, I, don't, I know that it may be uh, against the NCAA rules, but they went against their own rules in Penn State. And this is where I'd like to see some leadership uh, from Charlie Baker or from someone up there saying, you know what? Let's mitigate this problem. It, we don't uh, we, got, we got a situation going on in North Carolina. We have the uh, situation here. Uh, we, we, let's try to help the player. Uh, a, instead, they they continue to make it more difficult. And, above, and we're not talking about some crazy uh, scheme here to, you know, to funnel millions of dollars. We're talking about a, a really a 30 a day window where uh, if, if somebody had done it, it would have been legal.
2: Yeah. And you could have just said, hey, when his knee exploded and he had to miss 12 games. Yeah, that's probably we'll call that square. How's that sound?
4: And, but, and I had a lawyer uh, call me uh, Monday night or Friday, I think, and said, why didn't they just declare him ineligible to say, he, you know, he's feeling better. I think he's back. And then declare him ineligible for the uh, for the bowl game and be done with it.
2: it it's it is amazing to me. And. I don't think schools think about that. The Arizona state thing yesterday where they gut punched their seniors by, Oh, by the way, yeah, we're banning ourselves. You could have done that before you fired Herm Edwards. Right. Cause you knew we we're going to have a bad year anyway, but I don't, I don't think they think about these things. It, it's interesting because I feel like this puts you on the same side of a guy who you often find yourself at odds with. And that is Jim Harbaugh. Are you feeling some sympathy toward Jim Harbaugh these days? I am. Uh, in fact, I, about an hour ago, I did an
4: interview with, uh, I was on with uh, Stephen A. Smith.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> and I said, stephen a I said, I, 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 this would be what I'm about to do is like you praising Jerry Jones and the cowboys. i I agree completely with with Jim Harbaugh, and I'm finding myself doing that more often, but he is right. and yeah, you know, uh, and I think I think that it is a real concern uh, what he said, if it's going to catch fire that that the players really deserve more than they're getting. And I think some people, uh, you know, think they're already getting too much. But uh, the real the real action isn't on NIL. It's on television revenue sharing.
2: Yeah, and I think that probably fixes one problem and, and creates some more issues exactly. down the road. But yeah, the, the reason there's NIL issues is it's not being used to give them endorsement deals. It's being used to pay them for their value as football players, which the market is going to try to do one way or the other. Jim Harbaugh is the first coach to just come out and say it, though.
4: And I, I, am really curious, uh, where this goes from here. And, you know, listen, Harbaugh and, and for all this, you know, manufactured feud that I have with him. Uh, I do respect him. Uh, he's, he's, he's tough to wrap your arms around as, as you know, and as everyone, and as, as everyone in the industry. That's Jim Harbaugh
2: calling you right now. He is. He's saying, um, wait, I hear you're saying nice things about me, Paul. You got to stop. You're, you're killing my rep.
4: You know, I, uh, it, it in the middle of, of the of the Harbaugh feud, uh, we were almost we almost we almost buried the hatchet, uh, Andy, a couple of years ago. Uh, remember uh, the basketball coach at at, at Georgia, his Tom brother-in-law, his brother-in-law, yep. Yeah, he uh, we got we became, we ran into each other one night in Destin, uh, and he said, "What's the deal with you and Jim?" I mean, I, I said, it's not. I, I explained it to him, and it goes back to something I said about him, and then he tweeted out my name incorrectly. He said. He said, you know, Phil, uh, Phil Feinbaum or Pete Pete Feinbaum, I'm sorry, is the water uh, is the water carrier, the water boy for the SEC. And they got and then it got out of hand. And he said, can you is there any chance you can come up here next weekend? I'm at Jim's parents' house right now. Jim's here. uh, John's here. And Jim's having a golf tournament and he'd like you to play with you. And let's and Andy, I I know this sounds like a line here, but it's 100 percent true. The very the very weekend that he wanted me to come up to Ann Arbor, I was going to Hollywood to try to sell a sitcom about the Feinbaum show, and oh, and it was it, it it had been two years in the making, um and we had gone through it once and and we went back and and I'll I'll, I'll speed the story up because we we actually sold it to ABC and then COVID happened and. Nothing has happened uh, much good since then. But but that was the it, it, had it not been for that, I would have been uh, Jim Harbaugh and I would be besties right
2: now. Oh, I, he would have loved you two would have gotten along great. You'd have had burgers at the Little Brown Jug. Everything would have been fantastic. That we got we still have to make that happen. But now I have many more questions, Paul, <laughs> about you know the the Ray Romano esque. I mean, because that's everybody loves Raymond was a show about a sports writer who as a sports writer i couldn't identify with because he was always home but he this this show would have been amazing but when you're taking a power lunch with a hollywood producer oh. how do you explain legend how do you explain phyllis from Olga? how do you explain these people we were sitting there uh and, and we met with everyone and, and we were primarily
4: uh a- the the agent involved in this had kind of missed a little bit he said let's do the television networks you know not forget netflix amazon so we met with all the, the you know, abc fox uh cbs and nbc and, and as i mentioned abc got it and we even had a star I'll, I'll tell you that in a second um but i'm sitting there with uh i the, the head the head of cbs and they said well tell me more about this crazy guy who poisoned the tree so i pulled out th- the it was with the recorder, my phone. We played the tape of Harvey Updike, and you should have seen these guys. I mean, they were cringing uh, listening to Harvey Updike. Um, and I, I tried to. I, legend was probably the easiest to explain. I said very simple. Uh, you know, he killed a man in cold blood, uh, and he's now a famous phone bomb caller. Uh, that 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 is not even. Uh, that's not even. That's not even difficult. But uh, some of the other ones were more difficult.
2: It, it is amazing to me that I, I would have loved it. Okay, you said there was a star.
4: Who was the star? Who was going to play you? It,
2: uh, it turned out, uh,
4: and he's not that well known, but he was. If you go back 20 years ago, it was the guy that agreed to play me, and, and and by the way, took these meetings as well, which was Jason Biggs from the American Pie Trilogy. What? Yes. The guy, the guy who had Congress with a pie was going to play you. Um, and... He it, now remember they, they they had this. The series took place in Birmingham 25, 30 years ago. So he was a much younger uh, version of me, and that that was the that's why people when I when I mentioned who it was could not understand it. Um, but it was pretty funny. Uh, you know, I went back and I had to watch all the movies. Um, and you know, there were there were it was I guess what well, I don't know when did that come out twenty five years ago? American Pie. It was it was a fun. We'll I mean, it was a fun this trilogy was 24, though.
2: Twenty four, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. That I, that is a. That I'm not sure a, I've
4: ever said that before. Not not that I'm I'm, I'm like bringing. I think you told Tony Kornheiser, Kornheiser once, but I,
2: I'm honored that, that I got I got seconds on that one. Uh, <laughs> Jason Biggs. That Jason is Biggs. Not a name I expected to hear. No. During
4: this uh, I mean, there were the usual suspects, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I It was, it was an amazing experience. And when they finally, uh, right before COVID, uh, everything just stopped. It was devastating. Uh, I mean, I, I've had some big disappointments, but when, when you when you when when a network buys it, it's like you think you've got it made, and then you find out you, you're only beginning. <laughs> I mean,
2: well, so here's the thing: once this writer strike ends, actor strike ends, let's get it back going. You're now Netflix famous from Swamp Kings, right? So I, I think it's time. But I agree. Uh, I think
4: now every time we're uh, the TV's on. Uh, you know, some show will come on. My wife, my, my wife was there. Well, your, your show would have been better than that. I'm like, I know. OK, already. I mean, it is. I mean, there's a lot of disappointments you have in your career. But and it sounds silly to say not having a show about your career and life on, on television as a
2: sitcom, it ranks pretty high up there. Well, have have them call me when they're when they're getting it going and casting. Because if I hadn't done this, like if I'd gone into if I'd gotten a real job, I probably would have been a fine bomb caller. <laughs> it would have been like, you would know, Andy different. from Sunshine State or, or Sunshine Andy or something. Like, I'll just calling, screaming about Florida. But, but, Andy, all the things
4: I've done, you know, hanging out with Tebow every weekend, doing all the, the, the cool things for yesterday, there is nothing quite like Hollywood. Uh, I mean, it is, I, I see how everyone goes crazy out there and careers are ruined and lives are lost because, it is, it is, without a doubt, the most intoxicating thing I, I, I have ever done.
2: It's, it, and now here you sit just a few steps away from the new ACC headquarters in Charlotte. Yeah, your are right. sanity intact. Man, man. That's, yeah. that's, all right, Paul, before I let you go, I, I do need to ask we, some big games involving teams from that league that you talk about this week. You got Florida going out to Utah. You got LSU playing Florida State in Orlando. We'll start with the one in Salt Lake City. What what do you think happens with the Gators out there,
4: Andy? Am I crazy to think Florida can win this game? Um, The Cam Rising thing has me uh, bamboozled uh, because I still don't. Do do
2: we know what's going on with that? We don't. uh, We know the line keeps moving in weird ways. Here, here's my just. I'm using as much common sense as I can take on this. They've won two consecutive Pac-12 titles. They would like to win a third. They have a lot of players back from last year who could be in the NFL right now that came back with the express purpose of winning that league again. You have a quarterback who plays with a reckless style, but that's what makes him good. Right. And he's eight months off an ACL surgery. Do you play him in a game that does not affect the Pac-12 right. standings or do you hold him for, for the rest? That, that's just me trying to common senseify it.
4: I would hold him um, uh, because I, I think I think you have to believe you can win the game anyway. Yeah, um, I think, and they
2: can, they can win know. the game with anybody they start. So, uh, I, I, I,
4: in the end, I think Utah will win the game. So, uh, I, I threw out the, do you think I'm crazy, just to be on the right. In case Florida wins, I, I've got myself covered from the the Bull Gator Nation.
2: Oh, Paul, here's the thing. So, and I, th- I feel like I get a pass because of the what's going on. So, we're recording this on on Tuesday afternoon. There's a hurricane bearing down on us here in North central Florida. And so I plan on recording a a pick for the game because we're going to record some of Wednesday's show in case I don't have any power tomorrow. I'm going to record a pick for that game, but I don't know if I'm going to release that video or do a different one with a completely different pick. So I'm I'm keeping, I'm hedging my bets today.
4: Yeah, it it is a very difficult uh, for all the obvious reasons. uh, It's, it's a game that, that is almost impossible to pick, but if we must.
2: Yes. Now, how about the Tigers going to Orlando against Florida State? This is the highest profile game of the weekend and yeah. um, should be fun. He, uh,
4: I like I like LSU. He, and, and even though I'm exercised over uh, Smith not being in the game, I, I think LSU should win. Uh, I'm, I'm troubled every time I look at Florida State's roster, though, and I see first-round picks across the board. It tells me that Mike Norvell has done a really good job down there, but I, th- I think it's similar to last year in terms of the tightness. Um, and what about this? Maybe maybe uh, LSU actually makes a kick at the end of the game to win.
2: That would, be, that would be interesting. There was just a lot of sloppy in that game last year. You had Florida State fumbling as they went in to w- score what would have been the icing touchdown. Right. LSU gets an extra point blocked. I think the sloppiness is gone. Both teams are playing at a high level and we get a good game. But I, I, at this point, that one I don't have to pick until, uh, until Thursday, so I'm, I'm not going to pick it yet. All right, wait, what, one more, one more. I, I do want to ask you this. As someone who understands how the sausage is made in television, and you played this clip on your show Monday roughly seven times. College game day over the weekend, you had Desmond Howard, Pat McAfee, Kirk Street all pick Alabama to win the SEC. Do you think each one of them individually went in going, "I'm going to shock the world, pick Alabama," or do you think they actually believe that the that Alabama will top Georgia for the SEC title?
4: Well, the only one I knew in advance was Herbstreit because he's been saying that for a while, um, and, and I think I think he had a conversation somewhere along the ways with with, with Saban, and he's just. and I, I Also, I think there's a tendency to want to be different, but the rest of them, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I. I always pay attention to what Desmond Howard says, Andy, uh, Andy, for this reason. Last year, uh, he had Michigan, Texas A&M, Pittsburgh, and Baylor in his final four. Now, (laughs) uh, I mean, he he got one right, and I think of those three – help me – correct me, I I mean – I think one had a winning record or two. I can't well, remember. One, I one
2: actually, yeah. One, the other ones did not yeah. do so great. They, they were so, not.
4: So when you have, when you pick four teams for the final four, you get one, right. And, and two of your, two of your other three picks don't even have a winning record. You know, I'm going to Vegas with Desmond Howard.
2: <laughs> well, let, let's remember multiple people on that panel took TCU in the national title game last year. That's all we need to know. Uh, I, I sat outside the hotel, uh,
4: in the rain on that on that morning arguing with Stephen a smith i said "Stephen A., you do not want to pick
2: tcu said, they're gonna win the game i said oh please you're, you're I'm, I'm trying to help you here this one of those it's it's hard because you you don't want to be called the sec homer no but in that situation i was in la that weekend and people kept asking me i'm like do you, do you want me to make you feel better about there being a game on monday or do you want me to tell you what's going to happen
4: yeah so. I know that was probably the, uh, the easiest game of all time. I mean, I, I don't think there was – the year before, I didn't get it right. But I, I kind of – at the last minute in Indianapolis, I felt everything tr- turning toward Georgia. But, but last year, that, w- that was obvious from Selection Sunday.
2: Yeah, we, we knew it. You can, t- you can take Paul to Vegas every time, but really you need to take him to Hollywood. Listen, get the strike done. Let's get this show moving, Jason Biggs. I, I will. I will start working out.
4: I, I am. A, I am one of the executive producers. If uh, that's part of the deal, I will cast you. You will definitely be playing yourself.
2: I I, I. I can play myself as a as a guest on the show, but listen, you need me as a caller. There's an inner fine bomb caller in me. Okay. Well, just lying yeah, right.
4: yeah, I want you as a regular, and I want. I want you to. I want you to
2: experience Hollywood like I did. Power lunches for days. I'm ready. Thank Hold you, Paul. Lounge.
4: Here we come.
2: <laughs> Welcome back. And after t- this episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and HyperVolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Haaland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Talking to Paul Feinbaum, I I just feel like the takes are flowing through me. I feel like I have a bunch of bold predictions that I need to get off my chest and possibly that we need to revisit in December to see how many I got right. And it might not be very many. But I'm feeling bold today. And I'm feeling like I need to, to release... My playoff prediction, everybody else is they're, they're saying coaches are shook because they saw a certain person's playoff predictions. I don't know that anybody cares what my playoff predictions are. I think you might care. I think a certain fan base is going to care because certain fan base might be surprised that I included one of their teams in the playoff. Uh, a couple certain fan bases might be surprised in a bad way that I included this other team in the playoff. But we'll get to that. We got to warm up before we get to that molten level of take. So let, let's talk about some, some bold predictions. My first bold prediction, I don't know how bold this is because I think, I, since I mentioned this in a mailbag show a few weeks ago, I've seen some other folks kind of track in the same way. But this is one that, that there's a wide group of, of teams that, that are competing for this spot. So lots of strong opinions either way. But, This is the last year that the group of five will be competing for a spot in the New Year's Six. Yes, you can make the playoff as a group of five school. Cincinnati proved that coming out of the American in 2021. But chances are there won't be a group of five school in the Final 14 playoff. There definitely will be one. Well, we think Wednesday there's a playoff meeting, but we're pretty sure there will be one in the first 12-team playoff in 2024. So... This is a good barometer, a good way to check and see who we think might be in the mix for that playoff berth come time next year. But right now, for that New Year's 6 berth in the group of five, I think it's going to be SMU. I think the Pony Express, which, listen, SMU may or may not be an ACC school by the time all this goes down. But I think they will be the one that gets it this year. I think they'll win the American and they'll be the highest ranked champ of those conferences. And so Rhett Lashley and company, very excited to see what they do. Uh, you know, Rhett Lashley came in and, and Tony Sunny uh, Sonny Dykes had, had built a nice foundation there. Rhett Lashley just, just kept on going. And Tulane, yes, they bring back Michael Pratt. They did not lose Willie Fritz, but I think this is this is probably the Pony Express's time. So SMU, Mustangs, get her done. Make me proud. We'll stay in the American for the next one. Well, we'll, we'll be in the American and, and in the Pac-12 partially. Couple coaches first year that came I mean, kind of the non-traditional route, both very outspoken. Biff Pogey, the Charlotte head coach. You know him, you love him. He's the one who, who did the interview on this show never letting a cigar go out. Former hedge fund manager, former high school coach in Maryland. He's the now the head coach at Charlotte after working at Michigan for a couple of years. He will win more games in year one than Coach Prime will win at Colorado in year one. Now, this is more of a compliment to Biff Pogey and a statement of fact about the Pac-12 than it is saying anything about Dion. Because I actually think Dion's gonna do a good job. And I think once they get into the Big 12 and he's got a couple of recruiting classes under his belt, it's gonna work out pretty well for him at Colorado. But right now, they got a a, a roster that they turned over completely. It's very hard to find effective big guys in the portal. They are playing against a loaded Pac-12, the deepest Pac-12 we've seen in years. And it's gonna be tough. It will be tough for the 49ers too. They're moving from Conference USA to the American, but they are also a completely different roster. Biff Poggi's stocked that thing with guys who played for him at, at St. Francis in Maryland, and these are guys that, that went power five for the most part, and then maybe things didn't work out. They're back with him. They were very effective playing for him in high school. The chemistry probably should should come together more quickly than a lot of situations where a roster has been turned over as thoroughly as it has at Charlotte. So it's not going to be easy for them. And we may be talking about five wins versus four wins or four wins versus three wins. But I'm saying Biff Poge is going to win more again with coach prime. If he wins four or five games, I, I'm not even saying bowl eligibility. If Deion Sanders wins four or five games with the roster, he took given the roster, he took over at Colorado, given the situation he took over at Colorado and given the depth of the PAC 12 this year, I would celebrate that. I that's one of that's one of those. I wouldn't I wouldn't say, oh, you know, Dion didn't do what he did at Jackson State. No, I would celebrate a four or five win season. But I think Biff Poggi will will have the 49ers win in pretty quick. And listen, you come on my show, you wear the 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 cutoff shirt, the deep V-neck, you puff the cigar the whole time. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna consider you pretty swaggy. So we we thought Dion was the swaggiest first year head coach. I don't know. I think Biff will give him a run for his money. Fascinated to see how both of those situations turn out. And also how Trent Dilfer turns out at UAB. That's another one where he's been very defiant about, you know, people saying that that he shouldn't have gotten that job. I don't have a problem with him getting that job. His experience in the NFL is just as valuable as if you ground your way through as a, as a GA and, at lower levels as a, as a position coach or coordinator. So he has a lot to offer just as Biff Pogey has a lot to offer given his relevant work experience and also his other coaching experience, his CEO experience as a hedge fund manager and as the head of a high school program at a couple different places where they did nothing but win. So I am, I am fascinated by, by these first year coaches, I don't think these are stunt hires. I don't have a problem with looking outside the box for somebody when you haven't been winning. And you know, UAB is a little bit different story because that that situation that that team was doing pretty well. Uh, incredible resilience from that program as they came back from getting basically canceled. But Charlotte, they got to turn things around. Colorado, they got to turn things around. they got two guys that, that are going to the extreme to try to turn them around. So we'll see what happens, but but my money is on the man with no sleeves, Biff Pogey. Here's another one. We're now going to the SEC. And I've said this before, and I got a lot of heat for this one. Carson Beck, the new starting quarterback at Georgia, I said... If you're looking for some value in a Heisman future, bet on Carson Beck because he's going to put up good numbers on a great team. They're probably going to be 12-0 and 0 going to the SEC championship game. He's probably going to be viewed as one of the best players on the team. And there's a really good chance he winds up in New York for the Heisman ceremony. I don't know if he's going to win, but I feel like there's a really good chance he winds up in New York just based on who makes it to New York. I know he's a first-year starter. That, that shouldn't matter. And you say, oh, maybe he's not as good as Stetson Bennett. Maybe he's not. But what if he is? And what if he's matured? Because he did get beat out by Stetson Bennett a couple of years ago. But what if he's matured and his probably superior physical tools allow him to have a higher ceiling and be as good or better? Well, there's a real good chance he winds up in New York. And I realize there's been a big push for Brock Bowers to be there to be that one in that spot as the best player on what might be the best team it's possible, but Jalen Carter was the best player on the best team last year and he didn't win either. So Brock Bowers in terms of numbers, because he's used so much as a blocker, he's not going to put up numbers like Devonte Smith put up when he won the Heisman trophy in 2020, it's going to be very difficult. If a Georgia player is going to be the mix, it's probably going to be back. So we'll see what happens. I'd love for it if it was Amarius Mims or Tate Ratledge or Cedric Van Pran, one of the offensive linemen. I know that's not going to happen. But I wouldn't be shocked if Carson Beck goes to New York. Speaking of the Heisman, though, I know I've said this, and and as recently as this week I've said, there's no way Caleb Williams is going to repeat because we're going to nitpick him to death. We're going to come up with any way we can not to vote for him but I watched him play again on Saturday night, and guess what? If anybody's going to repeat, if anybody is going to become the second two-time Heisman winner alongside Archie Griffin, it's going to be Caleb Williams because this guy is just as good as he was last year, maybe better, and he's going to have to be Superman probably because I got a feeling that USC defense is going to be not dominant. I don't know if they're going to be as bad as they were last year they could be better than last year but given what they have to play at the end of the season Caleb Williams is going to have to put up massive numbers to keep USC winning and to keep USC in position to to play for the Pac-12 title and to play for a playoff berth if he does that he may overcome all of the reasons and the roadblocks that we put in the way and remember he's going to have the double roadblocks because one, we hold returning Heisman winners to a higher standard, and two, he's the presumed first pick in the NFL draft, and we hold that person to a higher standard too. So, I think of the ones that we've seen come back, definitely a better shot than Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel started 2013 with the cloud, the auto, all the autograph stuff, which is, again, stupid, wouldn't matter now. But he didn't didn't have the same vibe going into 2013. Tim Tebow in 2008, I think, would have had a really good shot and was in New York. It's just that Sam Bradford had an incredible year at Oklahoma. It was just a record-breaking offense there. So we, we didn't see him come back. And then Sam Bradford got hurt coming back from winning the Heisman. So it's really hard to do. There's a reason only Archie Griffin has done it. But if somebody can do it, I think it's Caleb Williams. Now, you hear me say that. And you probably assume, I think USC is going to win the Pac-12. I do not. I think Oregon will win the Pac-12. And I know I'm the one who always beats myself up for forgetting Utah in this conversation. Utah is absolutely in this conversation. USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, probably probably Oregon State, all in this conversation to win a very deep Pac-12. UCLA may put itself in the conversation in a very deep Pac-12, but... I'm going to go with the Ducks. Uh, you, you got older guys like Brandon Dorless, who've been very good there for a long time. New guys coming out of the transfer portal, like Jordan Birch, who came from South Carolina. Dan Lanning has, has really tried to beef up that defense. I'll give you another name that, that maybe you haven't heard yet with regard to Oregon's defense this year. Chris Hampton. Chris Hampton was calling the defense at Tulane last year. He's an assistant now at Oregon. There's a very good chance that that defense schematically play calling wise is better than it was last year. Just telling you that right now. So forget what happened against Oregon state last year, where they just kept running the ball over and over. They're not going to let that happen again. And then, you know, maybe you don't get in in a situation against Washington where Bo Nix has to bail you out every time Bo Nix. He's healthy. He's going to put up big numbers. Again, before he got dinged up against Washington last year, he was tracking for a very similar season to the one that Marcus Mariota had when he won the Heisman Trophy. It's entirely possible that we see Bo Nix and Caleb Williams in New York. Maybe Bo Nix, Michael Penix from Washington and Caleb Williams in New York. The quarterback play in the Pac-12 is going to be fun. Cam rising at Utah, we will see what his health situation is going to the Florida game on Thursday. But if we see him back this season there's a very good chance that he's leading Utah to some big wins. But I think the Ducks can do it. This is this is one where they probably should have found their way. They should not have lost to Washington. They should not have lost to Oregon State last year. Dan Lanning was a first-year head coach. First-year head coaches make mistakes. First-year head coaches can fix those mistakes. So we all talk about with players how the the jump from year one to year two is significant. I think it's the same with head coaches. So we will see how much Dan Lanning has, has grown as a head coach this year. I think Oregon wins the Pac-12. The Big 12. You know I love Kansas State. You know I love when they you bring back that many offensive linemen. You know I'm very intrigued by TCU. You know I'm very intrigued by Texas Tech. Now I'm going to make them and Brett Yormark And all the people in the Big 12 office very unhappy and say the Big 12 title game will be a Texas Oklahoma rematch. That's what none of them want to hear that. They the the thing that would make the teams and the the schools and everybody that will be in the Big 12 going forward the happiest is a Texas Tech Kansas State or a TCU Kansas State or a Kansas State Baylor or a Texas Tech Baylor Big 12 championship game. I, I think it's going to be the, the big dogs. I do. Texas is as talented this year as we have seen them. And it's not necessarily because they're recruiting stars. It's because they finally develop some guys once they've gotten them on campus. And there are legit NFL players all over the field at Texas right now. What we need to see from them is can they win the games they're supposed to win? Can they win the games they're favored in? They're probably going to be favored 11 times this year. Probably every game except the one they go to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. That doesn't mean they have to win them all to make the Big 12 title game. They could lose to Alabama and then lose two games in Big 12 play and still be at Jerry World as a three-loss team. So that's why don't think that Texas is going to make the playoff necessarily if they win the Big 12 or they have to – when the, they have to make the playoff if they're playing for the Big 12 title, they don't. The Big 12 is going to be pretty gnarly this year. And it may be that the, the champion has two or three losses. It's entirely possible. Oklahoma don't know a lot about them other than they should be better. I'm, I'm saying the same thing about Brent Venables that I just said about Dan Lanning coaches improve from year one to year two. These were first time head coaches. Brent Venables was a first-time head coach last year. Didn't know what he didn't know. One thing he learned, have a backup quarterback ready. That was malpractice, not having a backup quarterback ready in the Texas game. You can't do that. If your defense is complicated, that's fine. But make it easier so your players can function. And then maybe you don't look so lost against a team like TCU. I think that, that they've probably taken some of these lessons to heart. Very new look defensive line. Lots of transfers in that group. They've got to be good. They have got to shine this year or you're going to have some of the same problems as last year. But it's Oklahoma. I do give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt because it's one of the most consistently successful programs in the history of college football. Ohio State is probably the only one more consistently successful than Oklahoma. So that's why you get the benefit of the doubt. So... Big 12 title game, Texas, Oklahoma rematch, but I don't think it's a for a playoff berth. And that brings us to the college football playoff. That brings us to my prediction for the college football playoff. And so I saw that game day segment that, that Paul and I talked about earlier. And I thought, man. Everybody's drinking the Alabama Kool Aid. I, I know that I've said multiple times on this show hey, Nick Saban seems relaxed. Nick Saban seems to have something for everybody. I do believe that, but I don't necessarily believe that Alabama is the best team in the SEC. Like, I didn't suddenly forget about Georgia, I didn't suddenly forget they have the best offensive line in the country that they have basically everything you need. I just mentioned that I think their quarterback is going to wind up in New York. So that's the, that's the thing. I, I don't really get how we've gone from three months ago, LSU is going to beat Alabama for the SEC West title to all of a sudden everybody thinking Alabama is going to beat Georgia for the SEC title and go win the national championship. I do think Alabama is good enough to be a national title contender but I'm not ready to to crown Alabama over Georgia yet because Georgia hasn't done anything to show that there's going to be a drop-off. So here is my playoff prediction. Number one seed, the Georgia Bulldogs. I know none of you are surprised. I get it. But I think you're going to be surprised at number two. The Big Ten champion, Penn State Nittany Lions. If you've heard this show all along, you know why I've been hinting at this, that I think Penn State, in terms of very special players, has closed the gap on Ohio State and Michigan. Michigan, at this point, in terms of pure NFL talent on the roster, might actually have the most, but Penn State has quite a bit and has some very special players, which Ohio State always has that. Penn State... Now has Olu Fashnu who may be the first offensive lineman off the board, Chop Robinson, who could be a, a very early round edge rusher, Abdul Carter, who's a sophomore. He's not eligible till the 2025 draft, but very similar to Micah Parsons. And because they already had Micah Parsons, they know much better what to do with Abdul Carter and how to how to play him. So you've got. Those guys, how is this going to work, you're asking? Because when I get down to my, my first two out, I have another Big Ten team in there. So I, I'm saying that that Penn State's going to beat Michigan and Ohio State. They get Michigan in Ann Arbor, or sorry, in, in State College. They don't beat them in Ann Arbor, but they get them in State College. So got a shot there. They play Ohio State tough seemingly everywhere, but have not been able to get over the hump since 2016. I think they can get over the hump now. That doesn't mean I think they're going undefeated. They could drop another one along the way. But I think Penn State's in there at two. Number three, the Clemson Tigers. Listen, I'm very intrigued by Florida State. I've enjoyed getting to know guys like Jared Verse, who was on the show on Monday. We've got a couple of their offensive linemen on Wednesday's show. They've got a lot of talent in that receiving core. Jordan Travis is outstanding. But when Dabo Sweeney went out and got Garrett Riley to run the offense, when he decided, okay, I have I had, I had hired from within to replace Tony Elliott, but I decided that's not going to work. I'm going to go outside and get new ideas. That's the part where everybody else in the ACC really needed to worry. Because historically, when Dabo Sweeney brings in new ideas, that's when Clemson makes a leap. And they already have a bunch of talent on defense. They're already very, very good up front. You know, that, this is a group that that you've got legit NFL guys across the front. So the question is, do you find receivers that can complement Will Shipley, that, K, you know, Kate Klovenick can, can develop chemistry with? But you saw what TCU did with Garrett Riley's offense last year. So what I'm saying is Clemson beats Florida State, whichever time matters. <laughs> they're, they're probably going to play twice but beats Florida State and then also beats Notre Dame, which I think is going to be very good this year too with Sam Hartman. Uh, that game helps Clemson's case. Clemson, it would help them also if South Carolina wound up being pretty good and, and they you know, clap back after last year. But I do think Clemson moves back toward what we were used to seeing from them after a couple of years swoon. And we'll, we'll see exactly how good they are. They played Duke on Monday night, and I know what you're saying. It's Duke. Duke won nine games last year. Mike Elko has done a great job in Durham. That's a pretty tough opener for Clemson. We'll see how smooth they look. Remember last year against Georgia Tech, which was about to fire its coach. They were not very smooth in the season opener. We'll see how they do this year, but I I predict it will be a little more smooth sailing for Clemson. Number four, Alabama. So here's what I'm saying happens in the SEC, because there's really only one way this works in this order. And that's Alabama goes undefeated in the regular season. I'm predicting Alabama 12 and 0 and then losing to Georgia in the SEC Championship game but still making the playoff. That's very specific. It's a very specific scenario and I know what you're probably saying, Andy, if Alabama is 12 and 0 in the SEC Championship game, they would be much more battle tested than Georgia because of their schedule versus Georgia and you're right. You're absolutely right. But That is me having faith in Georgia's talent and in Kirby Smart's ability that, you know, let's be honest, he took a lot of stuff from Nick Saban. One of those things is the ability to to make his team perform consistently regardless of opponent. So I think they'd be ready. So I'm saying Alabama number four, the first two out, Michigan and Oregon. So that means I'm predicting Michigan to beat Ohio State again. Because I remember I said, I think Penn State beats Michigan and Ohio State I'm predicting Michigan to beat Ohio State again. And listen, Ryan Day's done a great job. I can say that. Everybody can say that. If it happens in real life, Ohio State fans are going to go nuts. They will go nuts with a third consecutive loss to Michigan. There, the, the name John Cooper will be thrown around quite liberally in Columbus if that happens. Right now, I need to see Ohio State prove they can beat Michigan on the field. I, I Michigan has closed that gap really with its development, because obviously if you look at recruiting rankings, they're still not the same in what they bring in, but in what they put out to the NFL, they're pretty similar right now. And if you're pretty similar in what you're putting out to the NFL, that means you're pretty similar when you meet on the field in terms of talent. So this is, this is their chance. This is Ohio state chance to prove that, the last two years were an aberration that they can get back to dominating. And, and really, they don't, you don't have to get back to dominating. you got to win every once in a while, which is the, what we were saying for all of those years about Michigan when they couldn't break through. So Ohio State, not nearly in as dire straits as that. They have the talent. They can do this. But I'm saying that Michigan, because of the, the consistency, they, they're old. They seem to stay old. Like, they, they, they do a great job in the transfer portal just kind of picking and choosing in spots and making sure they're experienced in certain positions. So I, I'm saying Michigan, Oregon, first two out. Realizing that this looks very different next year when we are predicting a 12-team playoff and probably a first four out? Is that what we're going to do? We're going to do first four out like the basketball tournament? We'll have to figure that out. There's, there's a lot to decide between now and when we start the, the 2024 season. But let's savor this 2023 season because it'll be the last version of what we're used to right now before everything changes before the conferences change before the playoff expands and it's going to be a fun year and it gets started this week in earnest everybody playing i cannot wait when we come back my extra point is about another place you can watch football in the 2023 season Today's extra point is about a deal that ESPN reached on Tuesday with the theater sports network to show college football games in movie theaters. This includes the college football playoff and the new year's six bowls. Also selected ACC football games. Now, I don't know why just ACC, but probably because that's the only thing ESPN owns wholly at the moment. The the SEC, they will own entirely next year, but certain acc games you can get a big bucket of popcorn you can get a giant bucket of soda and sit back and maybe hopefully it's one of those reclining chairs and watch it on the big screen and for a playoff game for for a big bowl game that that'd be a lot of fun for i'm assuming notre dame at clemson is the type of game that's, you know, on an ACC campus. That seems like the kind of game you might be able to do uh, Florida state Clemson for sure. I'd love to see that now. I'm not sure I want to see Virginia and Boston college on the big screen, but a lot of these games, I would really enjoy seeing the quarterback be 30 feet tall in front of me. I think that would be pretty awesome. So we got to think about the, why, why they're doing this. The, the reason is there's a writer strike going on. There's an actor strike going on. Uh, one of the studios just moved Dune 2 from a November opening to a to a March opening. So, a lot of the movies that were going to be available aren't going to be out this year because of the strikes, and so there will be available theaters. So, that's that's why. But the idea of a community experience watching a football game, you know, we we don't get that community experience anymore very often at the movies except I guess the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer this year. But for the most part, we watch movies at our at our houses and we don't get that communal feeling, like especially the the big comedies. Like I I remember watching The Hangover in a full packed theater and the laughter just, you know, surges through you into the next person. I imagine it's the same thing if it's a bunch of fans of the same team watching their team's game in a movie theater. So it could be pretty cool. I'm not going to make fun of it. I, I made my Virginia Boston College joke. That's it. I actually kind of like the idea of having a giant bucket of popcorn and a huge 64-ounce soda, and I'm just laying there in a recliner watching a football game. That actually sounds like a really nice way to spend three hours, and probably three hours with the new clock rules. So there you go. Tomorrow, J.D. Piquel joins us. We're going to envision some disaster scenarios for week one for certain teams. What is going to have your message board crashing if it happens in week one? We're also going to pick some of the Thursday games, and you will hear from a couple Florida State offensive linemen as they get ready to play LSU. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: Madness is here.
1: Dot com in Kansas, 770 stop in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit one eight hundred gambler. in West Virginia, or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here, visit gambling helpline MA.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty for twenty four seven support in Massachusetts, or call one eight seven seven eight hope.